welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Stegley. With me, as always, is a man who also recorded a song called The Rich Men, North of Richmond. But he was beat to the punch. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing good, Kieran. I wish you could have heard it. It was going to be a hit. <laughs> and I would have taken the $8 million record deal, by the way. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm sure it would have been a hit. I'm not sure you would have been able to sell that image-wise as well as that fella. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, catchy song, not making any comment on the lyrics, but, you know, it is catchy. Anywho, kind of an interesting week for the Tigers, Cody. Like, I have a lot of energy. We're recording this a little bit later than we normally do. It's almost 10 o'clock uh, Eastern time, 9 o'clock here in the dear state of Texas. And I got a lot of energy. I'm not going to lie. I got a lot of energy. I had a good day today. I was sitting by the pool wearing my Detroit Tigers camo bucket hat, courtesy of your boy. Listen to Dan Dickerson on the radio. Had a Tigers win. Winning week. 4-2 and two on the week. 5-4 and four on this road trip, which uh, was kind of surprising when I kind of had to lay that out there, given you know the status of the team at certain points. And we'll get into status of certain guys here in a second. But you were in Cleveland, partially why we were we are recording this a little later than we normally do. Had to do your work, had to get back to Detroit. All is good. But you're there, Cody, because this is a weird division. And I was rooting for the Tigers today to win. Because, you know, obviously I do that anyway. But I also thought it kind of fit the narrative a little bit better. I was, I was looking out for you. I was like, if it's the narrative a little bit better for the Tigers to... You know, split with the Twins, as we talked about last week. They have the season series victory over the division-leading Twins. And then with this series, three out of four against Cleveland. They have the season series against Cleveland. The two teams ahead of them in the division. They're 10 games below 500. Now they have a better mathematical odds of the playoffs than the Angels and the Yankees, apparently. And they're cutting bait and adding guys, thinking about next season. They promoted a guy, thinking about the future. What is going on? What is going on with this team? What is going on with this division, Cody? Because I, I'm not going to lie. We, we've seen a lot this week. And we'll get into a little bit more individual stuff. We've seen a lot this week that kind of makes me think, all right, things are okay. Things are okay. But then the front office, the team is making like forward-facing moves, which they should. And... The division sucks, obviously, because the third-place team shouldn't have winning records against the number one and number two teams uh, in the division. So, weird division, weird Tigers team. What do you make of it all? Yeah, I, I think you just spelled it all out. Like, you say be better mathematical odds, which is true. The Tigers have better playoff odds than the Yankees and Angels. Um, those teams are at, like, 0.5%, and the Tigers are at 1%. So, uh, I wouldn't start the victory parade down Woodward just yet, but it was a nice week for the Tigers. And I think it was an encouraging week for the long-term health of the organization. I liked that the Tigers played some decent ball and they made these forward facing moves, these, you know, looking toward the future moves. One, not huge in terms of five years out, but for 2024, which was adding Carson Kelly, you know, obviously Eric Hoskett designated for assignment. Tough break for, for a guy who gave his all to this organization, who provided some really good moments, but um, it was a performance-related thing, and uh, clearly Scott Harris liked him some Carson Kelly. Kelly became available on the waiver wire. Tigers scooped in, which which mean, meant they had to make a hard move on Haas. And then you bring up Parker Meadows, uh, which we just found out that happened during my drive. 
uh, back from Cleveland to Detroit, <laughs> of course. So I so I like it. Like you're playing some good baseball, but you can you can kind of start to see this roster turning over for next season. And look, I'm not a big believer. We're not on this pod of like to finish the year strong and create momentum for next year. But I think it's kind of taken a long time for this team to really find an identity. And I think we're starting to see signs of it. We're starting to get a glimpse of what a, a of some positive signs um, that could indeed lead in toward next year. That was kind of my big takeaway from this week, whether that's Torkelson and Carpenter raking, whether it's the roster moves that are made, whether it's we'll talk more about this, Matt Vierling playing a lot of third base. Uh, I actually think this was kind of a significant week in terms of the next year. I think we learned a lot. I like that you said that. I, I like that you said that. And before we go even more a little big picture stuff, I just wanted to make one note of being in the moment here. So today, it's August 20th. Is there any way in hell that you would have thought there'd be a time this late into the season that you would have, okay, green, torque, Two, three, that seems like we would have projected that. But Miguel Cabrera batting cleanup. <laughs> no. And Jake Rogers batting fifth. Like, when I saw that lineup, I was like, all right, let's get crazy. Yeah, like, yeah, that was interesting. That, the, and, you know, got the 4-1 win. It worked out in some fashion, you know, obviously. And, of course, you know, Carpenter, you know, doing his thing. We'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, before we get into, like, the actual, you know, baseball tangible stuff, the team, with the Eric Haas move, I think it is worth mentioning, Cody, if, if you could share with us just the the dude, Eric Haas. Uh, everyone talks, obviously we know his story with being the, you know, the Detroit native and playing for the hometown team. But I recall many a times over the past couple of years where, you know, stuff was thin with the team in terms of what there was to talk about and and he was one of the faces of the organization, and I mean that literally with, like, the cameras went to him, and by all accounts, he was very professional about it and, and kind of taking on a responsibility that was a little bit out of his weight class, in my opinion. But I mean that as a compliment, is that he did that stuff. So, uh, the guy, Eric Haas, uh, you know, because that's obviously what yeah, resonated with folks. I, I kind of have a couple of thoughts on this. And the first point, I really don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. So, the first point is exactly what you said, Haas. Um, this is a guy who grew up a Tigers fan, who's cared about the Tigers, who lived out a dream and had some really good moments. And he was, he was, he was a, he was, um, a good speaker. He was always there to talk to the media when a lot of guys weren't during some tough times, had to answer some tough questions, had to be a little bit of a spokesman for the team, did a lot of things in the community, had like a burger named after him across the street at union assembly at one point. You know, he was. He's the kind of ambassador you want for your organization. By all accounts, seemed to be a well-liked guy. Um, I always enjoyed my interactions with Eric Haas. I respect for him. Clearly a big family guy. You'd see his wife and kids around all the time. Now, the second point is when Haas was DFA'd, there was a little bit of a, like, oh, this is such a blow to the spirit of the team. And, like, yes and no. Obviously, for those guys who've been in the trenches with Eric Haas, I'm sure it sucks. I'm sure it's painful to see a teammate basically lose his job, you know, and then he's not in that room with you anymore. That's, that's tough. But Eric Haas had struggled a lot this year and you could see that it weighed on Eric Haas. All right. I don't think Haas was bringing quite the same energy most of this year that maybe he had in the past to that room on a daily basis. 
Uh, I mean, the guy was not in a great mood all the time. I'm not saying that to criticize him. He was, he never lashed out at the media or anything. He, he was very professional at all times. I'm just saying the reality, this was a dude who was struggling and slumping and, it, and you felt for him at times because you could see him wearing it, man. It, and it wore on him and it dragged on and it dragged on. And I think by the end of it, it's not like he was this like shining light of, of positivity for that clubhouse. Um, and that's that's just unfortunate because of, of the nature of his struggles all season. So those were kind of the two two things I observed from from being around Eric Haas these past few years. Yeah, and like I take no liberty in, in, in talking about it this way, but I mean I feel like we were among the first to kind of put this on the radar that this might be a move i mean i said it in the off season i figured you know there wasn't going to be like a huge push to uh to to do it in season which kind of brings me to like a little bit of like a bigger picture aspect of this move so one of the things i'm curious about that i, I was trying to read between the lines and i and i couldn't get like exactly down what i thought okay this is how it went down and maybe you can provide some insight here is whether Carson Kelly, who, you know, there are some interesting things about him that we'll talk about here in a second, whether Carson Kelly was available, grabbed, and then had to make the Haas move, or whether it was just time to cut bait with Haas, maybe out of respect for him in a situation where, who knows, maybe a team might try to claim him or sign him if he, you know, clears waivers and refuses triple a all, all those like logistical things and maybe he could be like some bad off the bench in some fashion if someone thinks they can work with him uh out of respect for him and then they grabbed carson kelly so i'm i'm kind of curious where like which one came first like this this I don't, is it is it a chicken and the egg thing or was scott harris you know eye on the prize and then had to make the necessary move because obviously you're not you're not going to carry three catchers at this point, yeah. and you're not going to get rid of Jake Rogers, who has 15 home runs. So, like, what, what, what can you kind of shed a light on that process? Yeah, like, like a little bit of both. I think clearly Scott Harris and the Tigers had begun to think that Eric Haas was probably not going to be a part of next year's roster, or at least is not your ideal one-two catching tandem along with Jake Rogers. And so once you decide that, I think you start have to thinking, okay, well, what is the other plan? How do we get better? If the Tigers really wanted to keep Eric Haas around, they could have carried three catchers. Haas could play some outfield, blah, blah, blah. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense at this point in the season with the, the makeup of the rest of the outfield right now, but it, it could have been an option. But I do think the bigger point was Carson Kelly became available. I think that's what forced this move. Kelly was DFA'd, I believe, on a Tuesday and by Saturday. He was in Cleveland playing for the Tigers. He, he was on a plane that Friday night. So it happened pretty fast. I think Scott Harris and the organization found a guy that they liked and they wanted to bring in and they had a chance to make it happen. And that did mean they had to make a tough decision, right? You don't add talent without subtracting talent somewhere. And uh, if they clearly thought Carson Kelly was more likely to be a part of the 2024 Tigers than Eric Haas, so that's kind of why they made that move. I don't think it would have happened for just anybody, um, but I think the Tigers found a guy in Kelly that they liked, and and that made that ultimately forced their hand to have to make a move with Haas. Yeah. So Haas 
this year was batting just a hair over 200. He only had four home runs. Uh, I know he had some spot like appearances in the outfield, but the fact that this wasn't like somewhat in the rotation kind of told yeah, you yeah. Well, any, any numbers would and, be. And, and what killed Haas, especially the way this Tigers team has been used, he stopped hitting left-handed pitching. He's hitting below 200, I think like 191 against lefties. This was a guy who was hailed as a lefty killer at one point. At one point was A.J. Hinch's go-to option off the bench against lefties, and that's part of why he started seeing playing time in left field. is another way to get his bat in the game. And not only did he struggle against righties, once he was no longer a threat against lefties, it became harder to, you know, the outfield wasn't really a viable option. And then when Jake Rogers is playing well, he wasn't going to catch as much. I know we've talked about the catcher ERA thing a little bit, which is really interesting. Uh, but again, I think if you want to know what the Tigers thought of the fact that they have a better record and, and a lower ERA with Haas behind the plate, look at this move. Clearly, they, they didn't actually think there was a lot of substance to that. Yeah, and I mean, as solemn as this topic can be, I mean, this is also like a shout out to Jake Rogers for what he overcame with the Tommy John and, and his approach at the plate. He's solidified himself as you don't have you don't have to worry about two catchers for the next couple of years in theory you at most have to worry about one so you know it's uh it that is also feel that is a feel good story for the tigers and in regards to carson kelly there's a you know a couple of little interesting notes here he's 29 years old uh, i didn't write down his birthday so i don't know if he's about to turn 30 or not but he's 29 years old he was a second round pick out of high school in 2012 originally a third baseman and uh, got converted to catcher a couple years in. He was actually drafted by the Cardinals, and he was involved in the uh, Paul Goldschmidt deal a couple years ago. So he was one of the prospects in that. And in regards to, I mean, I'm a big believer, in uh, teams will tell you how they value players with the moves that they make. He's got He's got a major league contract, obviously, for the rest of the year. And then he's got a team option. For 3.5 million in 2024. Now, 3.5 million is more than the Tigers have spent at catcher in, in recent years, uh, especially since we've been doing this pod. That's a that's a round top 20 salary if spot track is accurate for uh, for catchers. Now, obviously, it's pretty top heavy when you look at the salaries for catchers, like the JTs of the world. Uh, the Contreras's and the, uh, and, uh, oh my God, I'm having a brain fart. Oh, uh, Salvador Sean Perez. Sean Murphy, Salvador Perez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. So, like, those guys, like, it's a little top heavy, but then you can get down. Like, 3.5 is not, like, obviously they have the option, so it's not like a guarantee or whatever. But if they're bringing him in next year for 3.5, that means they really believe in him. And that, uh, that must have been some sort of selling point to get him to come here, I would say. So, I think that tells you that, the research, the pro scouting, the, the analytics stuff, everybody involved with this kind of believes that you got somewhat of a guy here if you're going to sign him to a contract that if you want here in two months, you're going to have to pay him $3.5 million next year. Yeah. I, I, number one, I think it's a little bit interesting that the Diamondbacks DFA'd Kelly. I mean, I think it's because they were struggling. They're still in the playoff race. They're trying to get back on track. Gabriel Marino has obviously taken over as – uh, kind of the one-one catcher there, and had they continued to pay um, Kelly's, you know, salary, like it, it, it was just going to cost him. They probably weren't going to bring him back next year. All that good stuff. 
Uh, but they, they don't, it's not like they're super loaded at, at their second catcher spot. So a little bit interesting. I think it's a signal of the shift toward the future in Arizona, number one. But when he became available, I was like, dang, like, like this is a pretty good guy. And I think he had a little bit of name recognition with me, a little bit of cachet. I don't, I don't really know why. He had a really good 2019 and started the 2021 season pretty hot. That's probably why when I actually went and looked at his track record, I was like, oh, it's not quite as good as I thought he was, just based on, I don't know, for some reason his name carried some weight with me. But then, you know, I look a little deeper into it. I'm like, I don't know, man. I still kind of like this. Number one, you're paying him a prorated, you're paying him, you know, prorated minimum right now. Yeah, but you got the club option if you see him and he's terrible. You don't have to pick up that option. But if you do, you're, you're getting a guy at, uh, you know, Look at the rest of the free agent market. We do this every offseason. Who do you want to catch her? You're not going to get anyone better for any cheaper. Uh, Kelly would be probably just as good as any of these other, you know, long list of, of names that are available out there. And then it's like, okay, this is a guy who has shown he can hit at the major league level. He's graded out as an average, if not slightly above average defender. His struggles the past two years, well, he's been hurt a lot, and it's not really been things that are controllable or even in indicative of future injury. It's been, you know, he got hit in the hand, he got hit in the wrist, he broke a toe. Uh, he's missed a lot of time with those injuries. It's derailed him a little bit, but there's also a guy who's a top 100 prospect for a while in the Cardinal system. He was thought of as the, the heir to Yadi Molina, but then Yadi played forever and didn't <laughs> was able to sustain. He goes to Arizona. He did become the man and their, their top catcher for a while. Um, injuries and a little bit of an inconsistency plagued him. Seems like a very Scott Harris move to key in on a guy who scouts have always liked, who probably has a little bit of upside in the tank. He's a quote-unquote distressed asset, so you're going to at a reduced cost. Why not roll the dice on it? I actually like the move quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, the logistics of it make all the sense in the world, and you know, not to shovel dirt on the grave of Eric Haas' time with the Tigers, but that riding obviously was on the wall, and then you go through with this kind of talent, and based on quotes from AJ, seemed like this was also made in part be like, what's a good tandem with Rodgers, mm-hmm. you know, and and also AJ had a, like a really interesting, like, AJ's so good with words. I love reading and hearing everything he has to say because uh, everything's with purpose. Now, sometimes that purpose is bullshit. <laughs> but, sometimes, but sometimes the purpose is just like frankness, you know? And I thought this was pretty frank. He was like, you know, gave credit to Haas, had some great moments, you know, hometown kid, all that stuff. And then he also added, like, this is a move for the team for, quote, whatever is next. And I thought that was, I don't know, it, like we talked last week about the positive, you know, attitude around the team and, you know, with reason. But then here's the manager being like, well, this was a move that it seemed like he was good with while also saying like, for what's next, you know? So that dichotomy of this team kind of played itself out in this move as well. And I, and I, and I found that interesting. Now, obviously uh, you were in Cleveland, you've been around the team uh, for a couple of days uh, on this road trip post move, did you get a chance to talk to uh, to Carson? Or... Yeah, yeah, we talked to Carson just briefly. Um, I've heard really good things about him from from a couple people in Arizona. Number one, saying he's a great guy, 
um, my brief interaction with him, you know, hard to tell. It was, it was, it was kind of short, but uh, here's this guy ready for a new opportunity. You know, I think he, he shook a lot of hands and learned a lot of names over the past two days. He does have a little bit of that catcher presence though. You can tell he's a smart dude. Look, he's got played parts of eight years in the big leagues has like five, almost five years service time. This guy's been around. This guy's caught some pretty good pitchers before played in a couple different organizations I think that's a little bit of the appeal too. some some veteran presence, a guy who's been around the league a little bit, who, who knows some ball. Um, I, you know, I think that's going to be one of the selling points of Carson Kelly for sure. We'll get to see a little more of his personality in the days ahead, uh, but early signs are good. Random tidbit that I found kind of funny in light of him coming to the Tigers that if you go to his Wikipedia page, you know, they have like, you know, occasionally like photos in there. And one of the photos is of him in 2018 for the Cardinals playing in Comerica. So, uh, so, so that, you know, no, I just found that kind of interesting. A career 3.5 war guy, uh, somebody that obviously the Tigers front office identified and as you said, as having some untapped potential, I would just love to know what his life is like right now. Uh, in terms of getting baptized in AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter <laughs> pitching uh, pitching university, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I did hear a little bit of backstory here. It sounds like Fetter kind of threw the book at him right away. You know, walked through the door. Okay, great. Here's this guy. Here's everything you need to know about him. Here's what he throws. Blah 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 blah. And uh, I think Kelly was a little wide eyed. Like, whoa, that was a lot to process right off the bat. Um, and then I was I was joking with a couple people too, like. You know, this guy's coming over from the National League. Like, he's probably not familiar with a lot of these hitters or, or even some of the pitchers on the Tigers' staff. It's like, all right, I'm going to sit you down, Carson. Here's this guy. We got this guy, Alex Lang, all right? All he does is throw curveballs in the dirt. Literally is the hardest guy to catch, the hardest guy to block in the major leagues. He's either going to throw all strikes and dominate or throw all balls and walk guys. Oh, yeah, he's probably going to pitch in, like, a one-run game. All right, good luck. Go. You know, like <laughs> – Here's Matt Manning. You have no idea what the velocity of his fastball is going to be. <laughs> we think we want you to call 60% fastball, except we might want you to call 30% slider, except honestly, we have no idea what's going to work for him on a given day. All right, go. Here's Joey Wentz. Uh, we just randomly want you to throw splitters 40% of the time or whatever he did the other day, which by the way, shout out Joey Wentz. Joey Wentz had himself a nice little day. Uh, what does it mean? I don't know. Uh, but the, the another aspect that we shouldn't let go unsaid here is the health of catcher in the organization at large. So Donnie Sands, a guy who's another guy whose story is amazing, hasn't clicked this year. I would say is a is a fair way to say in Toledo, and Dylan Dingler, a trajectory that was pretty hyped. And then had to quell. And now I think it's kind of on the steady medium. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, he's seems like a player, seems like a possibility. No one's anointing him. Uh, like I said, he's in Toledo and he's had himself a nice little a nice little start in Toledo. I'm not sure about the you know, the aspects of catcher that that that, that he's executing or not or whatever, but he's he seems like a guy who You'll probably see in Detroit next year at some point because that's just kind of the nature of things. So uh, 
But other than that, like I know there's there's some other names in there that may be worth mentioning, maybe not. But other than that, it's not there's not that many dudes in the system that you're kind of looking to to call in need or whatever. So like I think this I think that I think this also played into it as it should. Yeah. It- Remember last year when people were hyping up Josh Crouch and I wasn't going to mention it, but then okay. you just mentioned well, it. But yes, it's, I, I just I'm sure Josh Crouch is a great young man and and he's a solid ball player, but he's kind of a case study of like you can't get too excited over what a guy does for a couple months in West West Michigan because you just don't know. Last week or last year it was like Crouch, man, he's really on the rise. He could be like the catcher of the future. It's like how many times have you even heard that name this year? Spent most of the year still in West Michigan. Hit two fifty five there. Solid. Not as good as last year. He's played 13 games, 58 ABs in the Erie, hitting 173 there. Um, just hasn't replicated it, and, and th- th- that sucks for the org. But it's also a reminder of, like, kind of that random prospect that crops up every now and then. Like, you kind of got to see more. Um, for a while, you know, it was like, oh, Dingler is, like, the future. And now it's like, eh, Oh, I, I think Dylan Dingler is going to play in the major leagues and has a good chance to be a, a Carson Kelly or like a Jake Rogers. And like, maybe there's still some upside there, but he's got to cut down on the chase at the plate. He's been working hard on the defense over the past couple years. And you feel fine about where Dingler is at. But yeah, again, Kelly, uh, I think is a sign that they don't view Dingler as being ready to play full time in the major leagues next year by any means. Anecdotally, I've always found that uh, when it, in regards to catcher, especially if it's a college guy, that's not like you know the you know the uh, you know even though he's an outfielder now, Henry Davis is of the world. Like you just kind of you, you kind of throw out the major league debut age out the door. Yeah, really <laughs> like, And I, I've said this before, but it, it's worth reiterating. Like. It's kind of unfair what we like ask of catchers as they try to develop in the major leaguers. It's like you got to do all these things uh, in terms of pitch calling, framing. Although that might not be as big a deal moving forward if there's automatic uh, strike zone, but like do all these things defensively, and then also you got to be able to hit at some level that we are sort of not worried about. But then once you get to this level, then we're gonna ding you for it. So oh, and Jake Rogers is like the ultimate example of all this. You know, there were multiple times people were kind of ready to write him off. And then now all of a sudden at 28, you know, 27 going on 28, he's, he's having a heck of a year. Well, can we classify this, uh, the, the Jake Rogers situation? Because I joked when the, the Tigers were playing the, uh, the Rangers, I heard fans in the, in the ballpark being like, why is this guy hit, you know, getting a hit here hits like two 18 or, you know, whatever. And then, you know, we, we all know about the defensive reputation, but sometimes that plays itself out. Sometimes it does not in terms of, you know, just what the casual guy is going to be able to observe, absorb, uh, and, the you mentioned the discrepancy in ERA and even when Haas was catching it, it was like either close to a winning record or just below a winning record or uh you know right around there right around 500 maybe a little higher a little lower I don't remember off the top of my head uh but the, the Jake Rogers experience this year a guy that we talked about and some others did too probably should have been an all-star over Michael Lorenzen shout out Michael Lorenzen of course but like He's kind of kept the Tigers catching position afloat with the positive war and all that stuff this year. Uh, 
how confident because you know you did the 2025 outlook and and he was on there obviously but how confident should tigers fans feel right now in jake rogers like for the next we'll just stick with the 2025 thing for the next two years like how, how what's that level of confidence where's the it, where's where's the pullback happen, if anywhere, in terms of what his role could be? Yeah, you know, I was talking with, well, Dan Dickerson and I were talking about this the other day, and he was kind of like, is Jake Rogers the catcher of the future? You know, joking around, because everyone's always trying to make these proclamations. And yeah. I'm like, here's what I would say. I don't feel great. I feel good, you know? And I don't, I'm not ready to say he's going to be the guy in 2027. But right now you go into 2025, you feel really good about Jake Rogers. Um, I think one reason, you know, temper things a little bit is, yeah, the guy has a, a kind of a track record of not hitting. And this year still has struggled with, you know, hitting for average. But the power has been there to a degree that it is it has uh, made it worth it. Walks in 8.8 percent clip. Actually, for a lot of the season, that was a bit higher. Still strikes out a lot. So, like, there's some volatility in the offensive profile that. I guess keeps me from being like, Oh, I feel great about it. Cause Eric Haas is a great example. Like a couple months, you know, you don't hit for power. Things can pile up. I think Rogers defense is good enough that, that it's going to keep him around. Um, like, I think, I think if you're the Tigers, you feel great about where you were at with Jake Rogers, but really for most catchers with the exception of five or six guys in the league, it's, it's a little bit of a year to year thing. That's, yeah, and that's kind of where I was getting at with the year-to-year aspect of it because it can go so quick. It can go so quick, yeah. and I'm that's why I always try to like classify my statements where it's like, as of now, or this particular role, because in my opinion, Jake Rogers has showed himself to be able to be a major leaguer, whether it was, it's with the Tigers or not, you know, for the next six, seven years. Like, he's got that skill set that he will get major league contracts for, you know, into his mid-30s. I feel pretty confident about that. Now, what that level is, like, how much that goes back and forth, like, all those kind of things will play themselves out. But given where this position was the past couple years, I would probably say Jake Rogers now makes the position more steady than it's been, I mean, you talked about this before, than it's been since maybe Alex Avila. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And it's still not, it's not saying a lot because the Tigers have had a ton of instability at catcher pretty much since Alex Avila. But Jake Rogers is the best development that has happened at this position for this team in a long time. And Carson, now the guy you just added has had some proven success in the major leagues. Like, I think you feel really good about that. And I don't know, you know, it buys Dingler some more time. You still have a guy who can be a major leaguer in Dingler. Um, I feel good, not great, but good about the Tigers catching situation. And it's really the first time I felt good about it since, well, I guess last year when they signed Tucker Barnard, I felt good about it. That didn't work out. <laughs> Tucker got DFA'd on the same day as Eric Haas. That's kind of weird. He's no longer wild. a Chicago Cup. Anyway. Yeah, that is wild. And, you know, like, but let, let, let Tucker Barnard, great example, felt great about him when he was traded. Right. And then, man, he's fizzled out two teams in two years. Hasn't worked well. So all of stuff, man, it's a hard I think sport. For, yeah. I think for 
all the criticism that just comes your way when you're the president of baseball ops, which obviously Scott Harris has gotten a baptism in that this year. <laughs> I think for all the criticism that goes his way, I think we can, and we're coming up on a year of him being on the job, even though he wasn't really doing anything, uh, you know, out for show for a while, but I'm coming up on a year of him being on the job. I think we can, we can classify a couple things. One, He's forward-thinking, like a mother. Max Clark, trying to trade Eduardo Rodriguez, trading Michael Lorenzen. Could have resigned or extended Lorenzen. Could have done something with Eduardo's contract. Maybe that will still come. Which, by the way, Eduardo, nice bounce-back game today. Uh, he's all, and we talk about him excelling on the fringes. But I think what this move does and he's done this in other aspects of the roster is even if it is not raising the talent level all that much overall he's also avoiding desperation and i think there is something there is something to be said for when you're constructing a team avoiding having to be desperate to add at a particular position group or uh having to need a guy like you can criticize it now and it's fair but no one thought they were desperate for third base options coming into the season and now moving forward with catcher you're not going to be desperate for guys in theory uh you have options you have uh pliability when it comes to building this roster and i think that is something we're learning about scott harris also with this move like, happening at this time so i think that's worth noting because everything he does we're learning a little bit more about him for sure and that's not to say it's all right or all wrong like i, I no. still don't know how much i am fully feeling the the optionality you know thing but we're beginning to get a much more clear idea of what this plan looks like for sure i did yeah i think that's a good point well, yeah, obviously Scott Harris is going to have his fingerprints all over this roster. 20, uh, I'm just going to be fixated on the year 2025. Like I, that you, you wrote about it this week. It, it was very fascinating. A little bit cryptic about Jake, or not Jake Rogers, about Eric Koss, not going to lie. Uh, so the part of that you were kind of right, but then the article is like somewhat outdated now, like, you know, at the same time, you know. Uh, but... <laughs> That's okay, but the whole point was contention in 2025 as a uh, as an ideal. I think is is a good way to put it, and that is ideal. I would like to think that the things that I'm seeing from this team make 2024 more interesting. Like we talked about 2023 being washed. We've had this wash conversation from Jump Street, right? And I would like to think that 2024 is more of a keep it in the realm going into September. I like. I think that shouldn't be too high of a bar to reach. Is part of that is dependent on a lot of things and a lot of guys. And we'll get into those guys here in a second. Uh, I, I gotta say one thing off the jump here, Cody. I gotta say one thing off the jump. I was pretty adamant. This whole season, A, I was confident in the prospect of Spencer Torkelson. I was confident in it. But I was also, like, really adamant to the point that I, like, would raise my voice 
which I do from time to time, about calling Spencer Torkelson a bust. Not being concerned with things. That's different. Not having some hesitation about what his ceiling is and all that stuff. That all all that's was fair then is fair now. But the people that were calling him a bust when he was less than one season's worth of major league games, two full seasons of major league service. I had a problem with. <laughs> and I want you to show yourselves right now and I also want to know who you voted for president last time around and why was it carrot top because i'm not sure i could trust you about things if we're just throwing around the word bust as a calling card not as concern and there were a lot of people that were like writing blogs be like torgelson's a bust right now he needs to be sent down the triple a triple a people are saying he needs to be sent down the triple a well by the way torque right now is 22 home runs he's on pace to have the highest home run output of any Tiger in like, what, five, six years, depending on where he finishes. It, the 20 home run mark's not that, uh, hasn't happened that much uh, as this rebuild and retool and all these words that you want to throw around has gone on. And he is still a developing player. There are things he needs to work on. He needs to be more consistent defensively. I still think his picks are good. There's plays that he needs to make there as well. But you put him in your 2025 roster, projection i i i just want to say like uh, even before like he had this kind of tear this week i was kind of uh, i was thinking like we're good right like that was kind of how i was gonna lead this like we're good right like with with torque with all the concerns that we had coming into the year with like oh you know they didn't really have a first baseman and then everything that happened last year i'm not saying we're good in terms of like this is the only this is okay with this is the player's gonna be the rest of his career but in terms of the path, I have to say we're good. We're good. The, we're on the path. We're on the path, Cody, in my opinion. Or tell me I'm wrong. But I think I'm right. No, I mean, I, look, the guy's been on a tear lately. He's, uh, you know, he's third in the AL in home runs since like June 27th. There have been some amazing uh, developments with Torque. We're finally seeing him getting to his power consistently. That's what we've wanted to see this whole time. Big picture, you know, average still needs to come up. OBP still needs to come up. But I think I, I think the biggest thing was always the power. It was like, how does this sure thing guy who raked in college, why are we not seeing the power? Well, we're seeing the power, and I think that that boosts his floor a lot. Okay, I don't know what the, the ceiling is. I still view it as, like, you have to alter your expectations. I don't know that Torque is going to be a perennial all-star. But some comps are starting to come to mind. One of them is Christian Walker, who's the Diamondbacks' first baseman. Pretty underrated player, actually. This guy had 36 yeah. nukes last year. Uh, 242 average, 327 one base percentage last year. He's having an even better year this year. So so Walker's a name that probably not enough people know, uh, but he's 32. He's, like, got some pop. He's going to, you know, have an OBP, probably 330 to 340, like, and, and he's not an award winner, but he's a really good major league player. Like, I'm starting to think that maybe that is your your realistic or, like, best-case scenario for Torque, and, and suddenly he is playing like that type of player, and I think that's really good to see. It is good to see, and 
I'll tell you another thing that's good to see is the tear that Kerry Carpenter has been on. Like, I, it, I think it's, it's an even bigger development. I mean, I think okay, so, I think it's yeah. I think it's like massive. Like, and and here, I mean, we've been pretty complimentary of Kerry Carpenter. Uh, I think I was skeptical until he got to the majors, and then one, once he started, like all all this guy has done is hit. He has had better offensive output than Spencer Torkelson through the duration of his short time in the majors, and he's proved it's not a fluke. He's made adjustments like we talked about last week. He's driving the ball the opposite field. We can talk about his defense if you want. I still think he's got a long way to go, but he has improved, and the Tigers are pushing him to be able to stay in the outfield a little bit. Like it, it, one of the big puzzle pieces in this whole rebuild is like, okay, you got to get, got to get a, a power bat in the outfield somehow. How are you going to get that? Well, you might just have one in Kerry Carpenter. Okay, so you need the power bat. In theory, you have the prospects lined up to be those power bats without Kerry Carpenter. I would say you need that surprise prospect development, and he's not a feel good story anymore. He's just a ball player. Like he's just a really good major league hitter. Like, like that's the kind that's the kind of things that spurns rebuilds, in my opinion. Is you have the guy that comes out of nowhere that you didn't I mean, that's, expect. That's exactly what the Tigers have lacked for for a long time. A long time. And you know, you talk about the opposite field hitting over the green monster. Uh, I do want to talk about the defense here in a second, but because that that's a that's a different conversation than just this positive one uh, for us here. But he is playing to the effect that I think if his if he was a let's just say fifth round pick, fifth round pick, however many years ago, pick your year. I don't care. There'd be way there'd be pushes for him to be in the lineup in the same way that. We just assume Riley Green's in a lap every day in terms of, you know, not worried about the lefty stuff. Like, I I, th- I think there's a mental hurdle some fans have a little bit, but that's okay. He needs to be in the lineup every day. I don't care if that's DHing next year. I don't care if that's in right field, although maybe he's going to play left field. Do you mean, I don't. I think that's I, coming. I, yep. <laughs> I think, I think that's, uh, that would be more preferable for me. Uh, but but I just love watching him at the plate every single time. Uh, I've said it before, I'm a sucker for lefties. He's got like a real nice just stroke that is real simple, and and it develops so much power. Like I I love it. I remember last year when he first got called up, seeing him hit in person. I was like, it passes the eye test for me. Now with the fielding, because we gotta talk about that. That. There's this movement now, you said it, uh, Chris McCoskey on Twitter said it as well, to kind of make mention that he's improving. And I'm not disputing that. I am going to tell you that it's not pretty when I watch. And what was it? I believe it was the Boston series where he... Now, look, that is a tough right field corner to if you don't play there every day to, like, judge. But he basically turned a double into a triple by not knowing how to field a ball that went into the corner, kind of waiting for it instead of attacking it, blah, blah, blah. And then he had a – you call it – they call it a double, but we talked about this last week. Uh, it's an error. Like, it was a fly ball. The sun was in your eyes, yeah. but it, it, it's an error. Uh, but he does he does have some flashy defensive moments, so I think that is also worth mentioning. Uh, 
he has to be in a corner. I'm starting to think like we need to see him in left field a little bit more. I'm not sure there's any reason to put a keel in left over Carpenter if they're in uh, in the lineup at the sa- same time. I know Akil has a limited arm, but I'm not going to say anyone's ever been impressed with Carey's arm. So, like, like the, the profile long-term is uh, for Carey, is it, uh, is it a left fielder? Is it a DH? Just assume. Or, like, what? Because he has to be in the lineup, and I'm not sure... I don't want him having to track fly balls where if you misplay them, you got to make the longest throw to uh, to third there. Yeah, uh, that, that leads to, like, you know, that has a lot of legs that could go a lot of different ways. I think Carpenter's arm strength overall is better than Akil Badu's. You just look at it. He, he grades out, you know, 82nd percentile in arm strength. Know, making the throw, hitting the cutoff man, just handling the ball and getting it out. That that's doesn't look that's really where he struggles. You know, it's 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 kind of the ball handling aspect of outfield, which isn't like a term you hear a lot. But when I think of Carpenter, that's what I think of. His routes, he grades out really badly, but the Tigers do feel his routes are getting better. I'd like to see that for a longer stretch. But if that's true, I, you know, that's a pretty significant development. And again, it's not like the arm is just weak. It's that. He's, he's got to have better outfield instincts, which is tough to just learn and improve. On the eye test, I'm like, this guy's probably best suited to be a DH. But the Tigers think he's improving. They are going to get him more more reps in left field. And they want him to be a guy who can rotate in corner spots in, in DH. You know, can he be uh, a Nick Castellanos or a Kyle Schwarber, you know, I, ideally, I think you'd want him to be a little bit better of a defender than those guys. But if he can at least not be a complete liability, um, that's what the, the Tigers are going for. And I'll say entering this year, I thought Carpenter's defense was a liability. I think he is showing signs that he can get to a level where it's, it's, you know, adequate. Well, you know, part of the, part of this is just the unanswerable discussion, right? Because we don't know how the rest of the outfield will configure. Or, Obviously, we yeah we put we 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 I'm gonna say AJ can put some pen, not pencil, with Riley Green being out there in the outfield. Uh, but the other parts of the construction, like that the roster and just the three four spot, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, are part of it. And speaking of Akil Badu, a guy who. I would say we're guilty of not like recognizing his increased level was, of play I recently. Say, I mean, we gotta uh, we gotta he, talk about this because it has some implications too. He wasn't in I, your twenty twenty five projection no, there. No, and I, I I don't think I would revise that, but I would say Akil was at risk of 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 getting sent down, and then suddenly the last couple of weeks we've kind of seen that best version of Akil Badu, and we've seen the power that seemed like we'd never see again resurface a little bit. And I think it was needed. I think it was at the right time, like a job-saving time. Um, you know, to have a future in the organization, he's going to have to be able to do all of these things consistently. And I, I don't know what that looks like. But the Tigers just called up Parker Meadows. Who's going down? I don't think it's Akil Badu because he's played too well. So that means it's an infielder. And you know what we've also seen? We've seen a lot of Matt Veerling at third base. So Akil stays on the roster. You can send down an infielder. Abanez, Maton, Short, as far as I'm concerned, take your pick. 
you know, you can part with any of those guys or, you know, send them to Toledo. Um, and so, so a couple things, Akil Badu, you know, has a chance to stick around. And I think you're most likely third baseman, maybe next season, primary third baseman. I think it's Matt Veerling. This, this, this kind of crept up out of nowhere. It's like mm-hmm. the last two weeks. And then all of a sudden, that's why I say we learned a lot this week. I think we learned Scott Harris thinks Matt Veerling can be the primary third baseman next season. Well, I, it, it, the thought did creep into my head this week where I was like, there's decent, decent chance. Matt Veerling's your opening day starter at third base. It, you right know, now but, but, appears to be the most likely option. Could change, right, you know, but who knows what Colt Keith will what, what that will look like here rest of this season, spring train all, all that stuff. But or maybe maybe they don't want to put him at you know could be anything. They don't want to put him at third base. But Veerling holds holds his own, and he's hitting because uh, when we were giving him his flowers, we got at least a couple comments on Twitter or X. Excuse me, sorry, Elon. That. Like, hold on a second, you know, Akil's doing this too, and then, you know, you look at the numbers, you see it anecdotally, like, I, <laughs> we talked about Jake Rogers, like, feeling comfortable for the next, like, however many years, I obviously don't feel that way about Akil Badu, but he's young enough, and he's got a certain skill set, and, like, a certain it factor that, I'm not saying I wouldn't move on if the situation was right or whatever. I'm saying I'm thinking twice and three times about it anytime that comes up until he proves to be a flop. If that if that makes sense. Like I don't I'm not projecting him into like an everyday guy. No, I mean he's still uh, very think... young. He's had an odd developmental path. That that is a consideration. I think that's part of the reason we haven't didn't see Parker Meadows earlier in the year. Although that uh, rookie eligibility date is real too. I believe there are forty two days remaining, so he will retain <laughs> rookie eligibility next year. Well, the Parker Meadows thing, because we've, we've talked about how Parker is the guy who could... This is no longer the case. I love this, because this was a talking point that we had coming into the year. It's like, well, Kerry Carpenter or uh, or Akil Badu. Well, Parker Meadows is both of those guys, so uh, hope he works out. And then Kerry does his thing. We're about to have Kerry Badu and Parker Meadows all <laughs> in the same roster. Oh, maybe in at the same time think, in the assuming outfield. Assuming I'm right, assuming I'm right, I it is the Tigers. Maybe someone's hurt and we don't know about it. I I'm saying here Sunday night. I would assume an infielder is going down. I would too. I think it's going to be hilarious to think like what would March and April Cody and Karen think about a Badu Parker Meadows. Kerry Carpenter outfield with Riley Green DHing. We would have said that's way too many left-handed at bats. That's what that's what we would have complained about. Now it's like, oh no, this is kind of cool. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but okay, so Parker being called up is awesome. Uh, the 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 part about having it against a uh, or excuse me, having it at home, I think is great. I think that's awesome when uh, you know, obviously the. Comerica Park crowd will greet him well, and I think you're playing like a good team, not a great team, you know. It, 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 you know to start out the week, so like I, I like all the elements here. 
for whatever it's worth, because I'm not checking the stats every day, he ends up in Toledo this year hitting 256. He's got 19 home runs. That's second behind Jace Young, which, by the way, Jace Young, 20 home runs in the minors this year. You know, all right, all right. He made your 2025 projection. All right. Another guy whose defense we don't really know about. Uh, but That's another thing. The it, Keith Malloy Young thing, like, it's going to be a headache down the line. Potentially Carpenter, too. Like, that's... That's one sign, I think, that, that there's still some gymnastics for Scott Harris to do before we get to 2025. I would be surprised if it actually looks that way. Um, but, hey, at least uh, he got George, some talent coming. George Lombard, also, it, if he doesn't get a managerial job, is definitely going to get work. Uh, I will, I will just say I think it will sort itself out. But, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be as simple as Keith third base, Young second base, Malloy. Mm. DH or whatever, you know, like it's it's not going to be that easy. You yeah, can't have that sure. many, you know, weaknesses in the out in the in the field. So the the Tigers go four and two this week, as I said, and then they call up their second most notable prospect, I guess you would say, behind Colt Keith. Uh, not their second best, but like most like notable in terms of a realistic call up. Parker Meadows, the cries have been happening. For most of the year, and he had a resurgence last season. I did read one article that was like really just taking a dump on his offensive production this year. Uh, you know, walk rate stuff, and yeah, you know, I, I thought it was a little aggressive. Uh, but but what what to make of Parker? Like, what to make of Parker Meadows coming up at this time when the team is still close enough in contention? That you're not throwing away games, right? You're not just you're you're playing well enough that you're feeling good about being competitive, but no one's on the outside, at least, kind of kidding. And I'm assuming in the front office, kind of kidding themselves about what the what the contention possibilities are. But you're playing well enough, and especially coming off you know this recent stretch, that you're not going to tell your clubhouse that you're punting on the season, but. But Parker Meadows is a guy that could add a spark. Could I'm I'm so curious to see what to make of him. But what to make of of the timing of the call up? Uh, in my opinion, especially if they're bringing down an infielder, uh, like you know, it's not the apples to apples that we usually see these things. Again, so assuming no one is injured, I think it's as simple as look, look at the calendar, man. You have to have 45 days on the active roster, fewer than 45, to retain rookie eligibility. If you're a rookie going into next season, there are some incentives, albeit small, you know, for the team. Um, I, I don't even have the new CBA in front of me. Basically, if you're top three in rookie of the year, the team can be eligible for a draft pick. So it's a gamble. It's, it's a long shot, but I think it was a consideration. I think it's no coincidence. There are now, I counted 42 days left in the calendar. Um... If they would have called him up before the Guardian series, that would have been 46 days. That timing does not at all seem coincidental to me. And then I do think the Veerling thing, like that helps out. That that opens some room in the outfield to have Parker Meadows on the roster. So again, assuming someone didn't, you know, pull a quad that we don't know about yet, um, I think I think that explains your timing. And hey, team's playing well. If you're sending down an Abanez or a Short or a Maton, uh Maton being the left-handed bat, I would, I don't know. We'll see. 
probably someone's hurt and we don't know about it and this is this pot's gonna age horribly um <laughs> like like your roster doesn't lose anything right you you're not getting worse by this move you might just be getting better the second thing is is riley green gonna play a corner is parker meadows gonna play a corner are they gonna play on the same like like are, are we officially moving riley off center field right now uh i don't know i will be really interested to see how that plays out as well yeah because you know just i don't have the the specific numbers in front of me but anecdotally i, I know he's gotten a decent amount of dh you know plays but i wouldn't say that if you ask me like yes or no are they being conservative with riley green in the field i would say no like he's mm-hmm. still out there a good chunk of the amount of time they're letting him, he had a diving he had a riley green play today uh you know full 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 dive there and so like i i will also be curious about that but i also don't think they're they're not in a rush to move him to the corner and i don't think the options really are what are you are you really gonna throw parker there like cold turkey you're obvious you could do veerling if you wanted to but then what are you doing in the infield Hey, you're obviously not going to do Badu there on a reg other than a spot. I, 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 think, I think we've answered the question here. And this is AJ Hinch and this is Scott Harris. Like, we're going to see some of all this, I think. <laughs> I think we'll see some of all the configurations. I think in an ideal world, Parker Meadows can hit big league pitching and he eventually becomes your primary center fielder and Riley Green is playing in a corner. I think until that happens, you got to keep Riley kind of as the center fielder um you know and maybe there's some days he plays the corner because he'll need some reps there as well i I think it'll i'm really interested to see how they manage this because i don't think it'll be like an official riley's a corner outfielder now um i think parker meadows has to earn that spot in center field with his bat before you can even really broach that idea but um you know now we're here now meadows is going to be playing in the big leagues a little bit so he's going to get the chance to earn that uh i'm talking more next year rather than than this year yeah, and like I said, it'll it'll be great to, to see him out there. And we've talked about it before, but it's worth mentioning it again. Like, the tenacity of him to kind of go through this long journey where he was a well-regarded prospect based on his draft status and then just kind of flatlines and then finds this second life as a prospect and be able to get to the major leagues not gonna you know snuff at that at all like that that that's awesome and it's a great story of perseverance and uh and you know sticking to uh sticking to willing to improve your craft and take coaching and take this and like it's definitely a testament to the young man another fun b plot here will austin meadows be in attendance for his brother's debut and if so will it be awkward i don't know but something to something to watch I hope he is in attendance. I do think, I mean, like, the bottom line is, there's no, is there a way for it not to be awkward? Like, everybody will be happy to see him. Uh, Everybody will be hoping that he's doing well. I would like to think he would be there for his brother's Major League debut. Like, I think, and they have obviously a close-knit family and all that stuff. And I hope Austin is doing well. But there's no way that you tweet about it, your fellow beat writers tweet about it, he gets 
he's on the camera with the family shot whenever Parker goes up to the plate for the first. There's no way that this is not weird in, in some fashion. That's just the reality of the situation. Uh, it shouldn't overlap anything that are the more serious issues, but there's no way where this is odd. not odd, I would say. Uh, to, to kind of bring other aspects of this projection you had, Cody, I, I did, I did like your, and it's very fitting given what happened today, I did like your Javier Baez take, which by the way, Javi obviously going through a lot personally, but since he's come back, he's played well, um, you said basically look at him as a uh, glove first shortstop and forget about his contract. <laughs> Uh, That's what you have to do unless you just want to live your life angry every day. <laughs> which, again, take out the contract for a second because I think sometimes people get too hung up on that when there's no salary cap and Tigers aren't like anywhere close to like luxury tax levels or anything like that. Uh, there's a time and place for talking about contract stuff. Right now, it's not. it shouldn't be at the front of your mind. Uh, but Javi Baez likely not going to exercise his opt-out in his contract. will be here for another four years. Uh, I, I will say defensively, it doesn't really seem like he's lost a step. Maybe he, he's, he's careless at some times, but I don't think he's lost a step. He's always been careless. Yeah, he's always he been careless. No, he hasn't lost a step. He's top five and outs above average. He's playing great defense. I mean, is I there some listener out there just went, well, why does he bounce every throw? And that's pr- partially because he's a little bit careless. He's still a good defender, even given uh, how many throws he bounces. That tells you how good his glove is. Is there a glow glove finalist around the corner for him this year? Uh, I would think so. Yeah. And, and in fact, the, the, uh, the young man ahead of him for outs above average in the American League was one Wander Franco, so I don't know how that's going to play out. Um, be very interested. Are you, do you know what you're voting for this year yet? Uh, uh, yeah, I never get real awards because the Detroit BBWA chapter uh, seems to be obsessed with seniority, so uh, once again, uh, manager of the year and rookie of the year, that's, that's all I've ever voted for. Breaks my heart. I think it's not fair. <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll touch on that as it uh, as it moves forward, but uh, but yeah, I mean the hobby the hobby conversation is still fascinating because there's going to be other opportunities over the life of this contract to go get a more ideal shortstop, and long term the Tigers don't have a we talk about Jace Young hitting well, but we still know about the defensive aspect of it. Long term the Tigers don't really have like a pipeline of a uh, second baseman here which by the way uh, speaking of pipelines mlb mlb pipeline tigers farm system 13th uh it's pretty Surprise good me. pretty big considering jump. pretty big jump Shout out and Max i think Clark. I, I i think there were a lot of projections that slightly underrated the tigers system and underrated guys like colt keith at the start of the year but 13th i think it's a little high I just don't think the farm is really deep enough to, to merit that. But the bottom line is it is deeper than uh, uh, than it had been at the promotion of several prospects. But was there any other position group or 
even like the pitchers or whatever that you kind of like thought about more than others in regards to projecting this because you obviously you have Scooble in there and Scooble's the I don't want to say sure <laughs> I, thing I, because no like no the, I'm okay so one of the purposes of this ex- exercise what do the Tigers have internally what do they need how can they fill these needs okay I third base we talked about and then. You know, Colt Keith hopefully can fill one of these spots, second or third or whatever. Uh, I, I think you need an infield bat, and I think you likely need an outfield bat, even if Kerry Carpenter is is the guy. Um, Riley, Parker, Carpenter, like you need another guy in that mix somewhere. And then it's like, okay, well, how are you getting that? Where is it coming from? Never been a big proponent of the whole trade scuba idea. But as I was writing out this exercise, I was like, man, if you're serious about being good in 2025, you got to get another real bat somewhere. And how? And how? So I had a couple thoughts. I had, man, if only they could have traded Eduardo Rodriguez. Wouldn't it (laughs) have been nice to know what would have been in that Dodgers package? Mm -hmm. And then second was like, Scott Harris is gonna he's gonna have to do something to get at least one more real hitter in this lineup. The only thing I really see is Scooble, and I don't know when that is. I'm not necessarily out in a rush trying to do it even this off season, but I think like something is gonna have to happen to get another hitter in the system. Maybe it's as simple as another Kerry Carpenter. Maybe Justice Bigby ends up being the truth, you know. Uh, but but that was I think my biggest takeaway it was like you have some pieces. But you still gotta have a lot go right, and you gotta add if you want to be. Let's say, look, I guess you can win eighty-two games and win the AL Central, so maybe they could do that next year. <laughs> but if you want to be a World Series contender by twenty twenty-five or a, a serious playoff contender by twenty twenty-five, I don't think they currently have everything in house. Those are kind of tough moves. That teams that are perennial postseason uh, participants made or make. Either, like, got them there or they continue to make them. So, that'll, that'll be a... That, there's a lot of... I wouldn't say a lot of chatter, but that's sort of, like, the undercurrent, like, thought process. It's like, maybe this is, like, the only way. This is the only way. And, by the way... This whole discussion, we talked about guys now, guys in the future. I think probably the best indication for whatever level of advancement the Tigers can make next year and the year after that is we didn't have to spend time bragging about Raleigh Green. Like, it's just understood. It's true. This is a guy who... Raleigh Green's so good, man. He's gonna be hit. He's gonna finish. I'm gonna predict it, but he's obviously on pace. He's hitting 300 right now. Uh, if he's gonna probably come just short of like official like batting championship like like at bats or whatever. Yeah. But if for all intents and purposes, he's gonna be finishing in the top 15 in like batting average. I know batting average and everything, but like like there is some element of what a consistent hitter he has been. There's a lot of numbers to dictate that and. We didn't have to brag about. It. We didn't have to. We never made it out to be like he has to carry, because it's like, oh well, Carpenter can do this and Torque is doing this and you know this. That. 
So I think that's probably the greatest indication is that we didn't have to like say like, well, hopefully Riley Green becomes an MVP and then you have a chance. So like the overall healthy organization, but I think is what really that exercise that you did with the 2025, it's better than it has been. And you're still relying on a lot of stuff and there's still a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of guys that you feel better about now than you would have in February at this time last year. You've seen some tracks of development uh, we're not going to know the gist of it, but we do know that there's got to be some tangible effect from the new hitting staff. So, like, all those things kind of play into it. So that, that that's kind of how I want to, like, wrap up the 2025 discussion. We didn't have to say make Riley Green a perennial all-star, which I think he will be anyway. There's some signs of progress. I also wonder, like, I, I don't think any of this in terms of really becoming a contender is a quick process or an easy process. I think there's some landmines still to go through. That is definitely true, and we'll see how the offseason unfolds, especially with Eduardo and how that plays out and a lot of things. Turnbull, what's going to happen there? There's a lot of <laughs> stuff to. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff that still needs to happen, but I'll tell you what. I'm happy that the Tigers are at least interesting here. We had a podcast a little bit over an hour, and it's uh, late August, and it's late at night on a Sunday. And I got full of energy. I feel like I just had a fire-hour energy. It's awesome. I love talking about this stuff, both short-term and long-term. Anything else, Cody, before we get out of here? No, no, I think that covers it. Uh, fun pod this week, and we'll have a lot of Parker Meadows to talk about this time next week. So should should have a fun pod coming up then, too. Absolutely, and I want to thank you, Cody, for staying up late with us. I want to thank everybody for listening, Apple, Spotify, subscribing. Subscribing on YouTube, Turning the Corner Podcast, subscribing to The Athletic. Got a state of the AL Central. Spoiler alert, it's not great, uh, but Cody's got that story coming up in the AM. A a rundown, a weekend inside the AL Central. There we go, and I'll I'll do more about this and uh, on social media. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Cody is at Cody Stabenhagen. Uh, Jonas Brothers are coming to Detroit. The Jonas Brothers are a very big part of my wife and I's relationship. It's her favorite band, Nick Jonas. Uh, she would leave me for him. Uh, so I will if anybody's going to the Jonas Brothers concert, holler at your boy. I'll pick somebody. I I don't know if there's gonna be multiples. But if there's multiples, I'll have to pick somebody. But if there's only one, I'll do it for the one. If anyone's going to the Jonas Brothers concert, I will Venmo you money for a concert t-shirt. So we'll, we'll do more about Maybe I'll have my wife get on social media and promote it uh, 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 for a little contest for listeners if anybody is going to that. I will be going to it the, when, uh, when they come to Arlington. Yeah, I, uh, Row six, I will not, baby. I will not be going. I cannot get you the t-shirt, Kieran. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for anyone else whose wife or girlfriend or significant other is dragging them to the Jonas Brothers concert. But, hey, if you can get a T-shirt, make it happen. Well, all I'll just say is I'm a sucker for you. All right, for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.